You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with me today, Elliot from EduSign. Super happy to have you on. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you, Nicholas. Amazing. Let's dig right in. What problem does EduSign solve for its users? So, you know, at least in France, when you have a course, you need to mention that you attend the course, whether it's just raising a hand in class, signing a piece of paper, or checking a box somewhere. Uh, attendance is very important because for training organizations, universities, they get the fundings through attendance. So basically, if you don't track attendance, you don't get the fundings. And so tracking that for five students is easy to do, right? In class, it's easy. But if you have a big business course with 5,000 students, it takes a huge amount of time. To give you an idea, for a school that, that big, it would be three, maybe even four person full-time just handling that. So we automate cool. and digitize everything around attendance, but also e-signatures for contracts and stuff like that, and also surveys. So basically, any documents that you may have are automated. And we even go a little bit further with smart alerting systems that are going to prevent, uh, well, people not going into the course, for example. So that's basically what we do. Yeah. And then is your competition when you go in, is it Excel or is it actually another, another service that uh, I guess universities mostly are already using? So um, there are a few competitors, but our main competitor remain paper. Uh, basically, you know, when you go, and even when you go in an event, you are going to have a piece of paper to sign. So that's the main, the main thing right now. Uh, and one thing that is quite important to us is that we also integrate with a lot of software that our customers already use. And those are quite old software. So it's not like HubSpot and Salesforce. It's going to be very industry-specific software, so we need to adapt a little bit. So that's why it's very niche and very specific, and you don't have a huge SaaS doing that. Yeah. And then are the customers mostly universities, or who who's buying that kind of solution? So basically, anyone that is an adult, because we don't do with children, because um, yeah, technology for children is a little bit, always a little bit more complicated. It's yeah. public in France, mostly. Uh, so when you have the training. So training organizations are big, big clients. We have universities, higher education, but also big companies such as Ubisoft, LVMH. Uh, those are the kind of companies that we may have. So basically, so who, who would also be customers like the training department inside the HR org of like a big company, basically? Exactly. So it would be the training department, but um, so you, you have... Two different kinds of, of training, basically. It's either in-house, so for your employees, for your students, right? So that's, that's for you to track. Or you are going to be a training organization selling courses, and so you need to track students for someone else. And so those are two different things. But at the end of the day, they need to track attendance, whether it's for a short period of time, a long period of time, for a big company, a small company. So we have customers paying 30 euros to 5,000 a month give you an idea. Could you give a, a, a rough overview of how, how big you are as a company, either in terms of employees or like number of customers or revenue? Right. So we have 
approximately 25 employees we are growing this week. Uh, we have a few new hires, so it may be 30 quite soon. Uh, we have a little bit more than 2,000 customers. It really depends on how we count because sometimes you have one school, one client that actually have 50 schools uh, below it. So depends, but basically 3,000 organizations like small schools or big schools use our product. And we have a little bit more than 2 million in annual recurring revenue at the moment. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Interesting. And then you, to go back to where you started, you, you started in 2019. How did you initially get the company off the ground? Uh, how we, <laughs> very interesting question. Uh, well, we were just two students uh, at the beginning. We had a piece of paper and we wanted to digitize the thing. So it started as a very small project. Actually, we thought it was going to be a side project that was going to be used just by our school and that's it. Um, but I was fortunate enough to have a co-founder that knows how to code and I knew a few things about marketing and products. So we had every tools that we needed to, to start building product, building a website. Actually, the first thing that we did uh, was building the website and not even the product. So I was doing a lot of yeah. customers research and interviews and SEO. And when the product launched, actually launched, then we already had many people coming through the website without us doing anything. So it was 100% inbound at the beginning, except, you know, the few customers interview, well, user research, not even customers that we had. And uh, from there, we just improved the product over time with a lot, a lot, a lot of customers interview. To give you a rough idea, because sometimes people say that they spend a lot of time with their customers, but actually the founders have just, you know, dozen or maybe 50 interviews. But I spoke, I think, with around 5,000 people during the first year of well, design. So... <laughs> We really wanted to nail the problem and create the best solution as possible. And it's funny because at the beginning, you think that you know the problem very well, and actually you, you know nothing. So we knew maybe 10% of the thing. And, you know, it's interesting because attendance, for example, is for students, right? So you think that the solution is going to be hard to create for students and teachers. And actually, we spend 95% of our time for the administrative person because you have all the automations, all the monitors, all the integration, everything that we didn't know about. So we had to learn everything around that and all the context, of course, of uh, courses and how universities work. And because those are quite complex organizations, actually. Because you don't have just one person buying the product. In small training organizations, maybe the case, but not for bigger ones. So we had to, a lot to learn during the first year, definitely. I, I would love to double click on that because that's true. A lot of founders say they talk to a lot of users, but then it's like in the dozens of people. How did you pull that off? Like, how did you get 5,000 people on the phone or on like a Zoom to talk to you? But it was mostly inbound. And uh, well, basically at the beginning, we, we had a product that didn't work. Like to give you an idea, we didn't have an API. We didn't have an import function to import your Excel file. So we asked the customers to send us their Excel files. We filled them for them and we implemented like in the code for them. So it, it was very, very, very <laughs> manual. It was insane. It was insane, really. <laughs> it, it didn't work. It was a lot of work to do. So 
we we were forced to speak with customers because otherwise they, they were going to be pissed off because it, it didn't work basically at the beginning. So it was a very, very small solution. And we had maybe 5% of the features that our competitors had, but we, we made them pay the same price basically. So we had to focus really on that. So that was our key differentiator. And at the beginning, we really, really wanted to be close to our customers. And so we did that responding to emails very, very quickly, for example, is another thing. So the average time to answer for an email during the first six months probably was two minutes. It was really, really fast. And so we focused on customer experience. And basically the idea is that you either have a good product that you know people are going to buy at some point and you can take your time and that's all right. That's where I think we are right now a little bit more. But at the beginning, you need to understand so. We just spend as much time as possible with the customers, whether it was on call, video, video call, um, emails, support, anything. And then we built the, the thing. So we, we did a lot of, you know, do things that don't scale is really, really something true for us at the beginning. It was maybe a little bit too much, to be honest. Maybe we yeah. overdid it, but, you know, at least we understand perfectly the problem that they have. Uh, and I think that's... Uh, that was something that was needed for us. So that's how we did it. But we didn't have to do a lot of outbound. Another small thing, because obviously I'm, I'm telling you the overview of it, but there are small things that you can do as well, uh, such as having um, a public roadmap and making sure that when you release a feature, you contact the person that asked for the features to get more feedback about it. So you create this uh, you know, virtual loop. And so, for example, sometimes at the beginning, uh, because obviously at the beginning we had a lot to build it's very fast uh, so we lacked very obvious features so there are there was features that people were asking from us that we knew had already being developed and we said oh yeah yeah sure we are going to do it for you and so we had we set the expectation that it was going to be for them and only for them basically when actually it was already going to be released in two days so when two days later you send this email saying well, this has been released for you. You create a relationship with your customers yeah. that they never had anywhere before. So that's your advantage as a small company. You can focus on those small wins that big companies cannot have because obviously right now uh, we have maybe 1,000 demands per quarter, for example, and we realize like maybe one, even if we realize 10% of that, already huge. But at the beginning, you can move forward and actually... Of course, there are lots of small things, but you move forward with the big things, way easier than lay at a later stage. So that was a big advantage as well. You create this relationship, you get more feedback, you ask for referral, et cetera, et cetera. What of those things are you still doing today, four years later and with 25 people? Because I guess you're not the one doing all the customer communication nowadays, but how does it look today for you? Uh, to, you, you mean my work or the organization well, how, as a company? How does the, the, the organization as a whole, basically, or the product yeah. team, how do they right. keep the, the customer relation or how do they gather insights right now as, a, I, I guess, like five to yeah. ten person uh, product work? So we, we had to change one very important thing is that at the beginning, you take the phone every time. So basically, when someone wanted us to talk with him with calls and right away as soon as possible. And I took maybe, I mean, there was a day where I took maybe 100 phone calls during the day. So, you know, very short phone calls sometimes, just two, three, four, five minutes to solve a problem and go to the next. But 
you, you try to do a lot of them to they hear human voice. So it's good for you and you get feedback, real quality data. So we had to change that because obviously it's not scalable at some point. And there is another component to it is that when you are building the software, you know everything by heart. Like I, I can tell you every feature that we have without looking at the software. So when you hire someone, this person cannot do that. So they need to rely on something that is written. They need to rely on the help centers. They need to rely on the documentation that you have. And so it needs to be written. So we had to switch from, we take every phone call possible to actually, we are not going to take any phone call at all. Like I don't answer the phone anymore. And I had to do that because I, I received way too many phone calls, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't take any phone call except if it's for prospects. So obviously there you, you want to, to have them on the phone as much as possible. And if it's, you know, big customers and you know, you're fucked up basically. So, you know, it's your fault. Yep. You have a big problem and they ask you to call them, you call them because obviously you don't want to ruin the relationship because of that, but that, that would be the exception. But so we had to switch operations from phone calls to uh, a support system. So we use intercom. So we have this chat. And so for example, um, we, we decided to have a chat that is not, um, that is not in real time. So it's in between the email and the chat. So you have the custom bots, but then you get an answer quite fast on average, like 20 minutes, but you know, it's not 30 seconds because we realized that. Uh, when you give the answer right away, they ask for more, basically. <laughs> and, and this is good at the beginning because you need more feedback. And actually, that's great. You can get more. And that's what you want. But at some point, you want them to, to, to you know, by themselves, look at the help center that you built for them. <laughs> that's how we change. So we try to make sure that our customers have everything that they need to figure out the problem by themselves before they jump to, to a real human that is going to handle the conversation. However, we are still quite close to our customers. Uh, we try to, we still have the public roadmap. We try to update our customers. We get a lot of feedback. We do UX research quite often. I still speak with the customers on almost a daily basis. So that's still core in our business, but it has evolved and it had, it had to basically. Interesting. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense because if with those chatbots, some users just get lazy and don't read docs and, and only ask. Oh yeah. What, one very fun thing, for example, is that uh, we because when you're building a chatbot, uh, you have a few answers, right, that you need to provide. So you're going to say, oh, it's for attendance, surveys, documents, signatures. So depending on your business, but um, and at some point we added a button which was uh, like other or I don't know or something like that. It was a button pushed by 70% of the people. They were like, nope, that no, that doesn't work. Like they are way too lazy. We want them to go through the funnel. So we had to remove that option, even though we know that 2% of the time, it's a very, very specific thing. And yes, they are going to take a little bit longer, but for the 80, like 98% others, it's going to improve the process. And we have 70% of the conversation that never reach a human. So you can... You can scale the support and we don't have more support right now than we had at the beginning, even though we like 10x our customers. So that is something that I think is quite important. Otherwise, uh, and you know, it's always a debate. Should you be a little bit more human? But at the same time, you need to be efficient as well. So it's a debate. Of course, we are, we are still trying. 
But I think our customers I mean, are the, quite happy. So, <laughs> but I think I think it's a it's a it's a great insight. And everything, no matter what you do, everything is trade offs. Sure, sure, definitely. I I would love switch, to switch gears a bit from more like building the product side to to building the go to market machine because you you mentioned in the beginning that you did a lot of inbound, but also from at least my understanding, it feels like a enterprise sale in a way because like big companies, government. So how does your go to market motion actually look like? Um, so we we have a problem that is quite well identified for our customers because they realize that having paper is not great, right? So it's, it's like if you know that there are emails, you are going at some point to stop trying to write letters to everyone, right? You are going to switch emails. So that basically is the thing, the same thing. It takes a little bit of time. Everyone's not going to do it at the same time. But So we, we had a very specific problem that people were looking for on Google. So the first thing on that was to target the high value, high intent, keywords. So we didn't focus on broad keywords. We didn't focus on very long tail keywords. We actually focused on the very high intent keywords. So for example, for us, it would be the equivalent in English, like uh, software for attendance. That is something where we want to rank first. So we tried to focus our efforts around SEO and we obviously it won't work for every brand because you need to have the opportunity to do it and the knowledge to do it. But we had everything we needed. So we did that for a few keywords. And right now it's still theoretically 70% of our acquisition. If you really look in depth, it's going to be around 50%, but still 50% at scale, which is quite good. So that was our main, main revenue driver at the beginning in terms of acquisition. However, you're right when it comes to bigger institutions, uh, so universities, business schools. At the beginning, it was quite short sale cycle because you know you had COVID so they were in a rush so it was easier for us obviously it was a booster that's sure but right now it's going to take a little bit more time so we are going to have uh, a demo or they are going to try the software by themselves because we have a free trial you can try the software as well as you want um, and then once they are convinced or at least one person is convinced in the organization we are going to make sure that we get everyone on board. So it can be the CTO of the business school, it could be uh, the president, the dean, you know. Uh, and so we get everyone on board. It takes more or less time depending on how they operate. Do we have an integration, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why you need salesperson. So, but basically our salespeople are here not to convince it's useful, but negotiating about the price, making sure that the integration is going to be right. Um, and, you know, showing that we are best alternatives compared to our competitors, for example. But it's not really about acquisition. Uh, and obviously, we have one thing that is quite useful for us is that because our product is B2B, not just B2B, it's actually B2B2C, if you, if you see, like it's a, and for, for schools. So yeah, when, when you go in a school, maybe you are going to sign with a design, but maybe your parents, for example, are the, uh, has a, HR manager of a big company. So you are going to talk about that at home and then you are going to, so that may be one thing. And one obvious uh, way, uh, one more obvious way like this is you are a training organization and you are a very small business, but you are going to sell courses to big companies. The big companies are going to use actually your product. And so if you land on the right person, 
you, you are going to get few sales from that, or at least they know your brand. And we believe that uh, we are in, a, in an area, in an industry where it's quite hard to create demand. It's, it's quite difficult. We try, or at least we don't know how to do it. Maybe we're very bad at it. That's possible. Uh, but it's quite easy for us to capture demand. So we want to make sure that we are, we are top of mind when they decide to move forward with it. So we are trying, to, even though we are only a small company right now, 2 million is not a lot, but we are trying to be top of mind and create a real brand so that when I go speak with someone in any training organization, they know our product. And actually it's becoming case. Like they, they truly know and they don't always know the specificities and why it would be valuable. And that's where the salesperson is going to have something to do, but that's going to help. So. If I resume, like it's going to be SEO, branding, and of course, making sure that you create a great customer experience. So we make sure that our administrators and student, everyone should have a great experience with the design so that we are referred over time. I would love to hit on one point that we briefly talked about before hitting record, which is like a big issue, especially for European com uh, companies, which is moving from your home market and getting international. So how are you currently thinking about doing that as a company which is originally from France? So you, you are right. It's quite hard, especially if well, there are two things that we didn't do from the start. Like uh, we, we don't have employees that all speak English. So that's, it's not very hard to change, but you need to change the mindset, you know, the culture, like switch your documentation to English. So that's something that we did recently. Right now, you are going to write in English. It's okay if you do mistakes, but, um, you know, try, just try and switch from that because obviously, um, it doesn't help if you are not capable of speaking with someone else just in English. I'm not even talking about, you know, Spanish or German or just English. Uh, so that's one thing. And another thing for us, but it's very industry specific, is that it's quite, uh, it's a legal thing. Like a signature is going to be legal. So attendance may be, um, you know, guided by the government or the region or the, even the city, actually. So we need to, to make sure that we have the right kind of paper and processes according to. So for example, in Europe, it's, Actually, in Europe, it's quite similar. You have attendance everywhere, but it's quite similar. But if you go in South America, for example, they are going to ask you, well, why don't you use facial recognition? Like, well, because of GDPR, you know, that's uh, something in Europe, it won't work. And so you have to adapt to those markets because if they expect something that you don't provide, it doesn't work. But at the same time, you don't want to build a facial recognition system if it's just for one market. So we have some product decision to make. Uh, so that's one example. It, this one is quite obvious, but sometimes it's more it's small things. But once you add one thing and another thing and another thing on your software, you need to decide, do I display it to everyone or do I make a software where I display it based on the language? Uh, it can be tricky as well. So there are a few things that we need to, to make sure we, we do as a smart way and that things are going to scale when we go into Shane. So that would be one thing. But in terms of go-to-market, I don't have the exact answer, but... Uh, one way of going would be, well, with our clients and partners. So we have a few clients that are French, but have some schools in other countries. And so that's actually, we, 
we are a French company, but we have clients in Spain, Italy, and you know even small opportunities in Canada, Singapore, uh, Belgium, UK. So we actually have few clients, but uh, we are going to start with that. Probably try to create a few opportunities, and hopefully the growth loop inside the product would help as well. So we have a few opportunities that already. Uh, were created in Spain, for example, because another school uses a product in Spain. And so we are going to try to do that and partners are going to help. So integration with partners and um, you know, mostly technological partners are going to help us. And of course, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So it sounds like you're basically trying to go, maybe not global, but in a way, not to a specific next market, but international. Is that correct? Or do you have like, one or two specific markets in mind, like I don't know, like Scandinavia, UK, where you where you want to go hard. Or how, how do you do you see that? Because yes. like, of course, you right. can go so, different routes, right? So yeah, something I didn't mention is that we already did a market research in Europe, uh, looking at pretty much every countries that are above, like you know, with more than five million people in the country. Uh, so we looked at every market to see where we could go. So we have a rough idea where the markets could be interesting for us. Um, however, even though we may try to focus on one or another country at some point, and you know, for example, let's say we, we go in Spain, if it doesn't work, then we'll go in Italy, and if it doesn't work. So we're not going to do everything at the same time. However, we are not going to say no to an opportunity that comes to us. So if there is something that happens, I don't know, in, in Sweden, uh, then we'll go in Sweden. <laughs> we, we, we won't say, no, that's, no, we are focused on Spain. We are not going in Sweden. No, if we have something in Sweden, we are going in Sweden. However, yes, you're right. We're going to, in terms of creating content and websites and stuff, like that, focus on one country and the next and the next. But obviously, we are also trying to not build teams in every country right away. We are going to try to do scalable things where this website is going to be uh, in different languages, but centralized in France in terms of marketing team. And we are going to, yeah, do something like that. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, that, that's super interesting. And then kind of leading to the last question, because we're, we're coming close to the, the, the time we have. What's the big vision for EduSign for you? Uh, th there is a, a big vision, but... Uh, there are a few things that I can't share exactly in the details because that's, that yeah. would be a pitch for, for some VCs. <laughs> but but the, 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 big, the basic thing is that we, we are a platform that is used every day by administrators, teachers, and students. And this is actually quite a unique opportunity because most software are either used by administrators or teachers and students, uh, but we are used every day by the three of them. So we may be able to expand a little bit because of that. So the big vision is to build something that will be a little bit more central in, that, in the education space. Interesting. So you, you're keeping us curious and we need to keep tabs on that. Elliot, exactly. thanks. <laughs> thanks a ton for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.